Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. You guys probably noticed like I did, my social media feed this week is reminding me that it's been basically a year since we had to start making some adjustments to our, our daily rhythms and when we started the ideas of, of lockdowns and I spend a good time, a lot of time, my time every week um, talking with missionaries all over the world and in a lot of the world, lockdown, they're on the strictest lockdowns they've been on the entire time and so the world is still kind of under the weight and under the cloud of what people think is the best thing to do to try to get the pandemic under control and the world is hurting and, and it's broken and we've seen rioting, we've seen arguments, we've seen political polarization, we've just seen been a, a time, right, where just everything seems heavy and everything seems burdensome. And, and so we're, it's been intentional that for the last several weeks that here in our, our worship gatherings, we felt like it was important to just really talk about the love of Jesus because there's never been a time that I can remember. Our world has always needed the love of Jesus, but it's like just love and kindness and grace and mercy on display in our world is a powerful message. And so we're wanting to focus on that as we lead up to Easter, just realizing there's no better place for us to see the love of Jesus up close and personal than in the face-to-face interactions he had with people along the way. If you're new to church or the Bible, the, the Bible, it's not like fables. It's not just like these stories that, that paint pictures of abstract truths and philosophies. Like this is real. This was a real person intersecting with real people and presenting a life-changing message that they would either choose to believe or choose to reject. And those who believe it had their lives radically transformed. And so for each and every one of us, we have that same invitation, that same opportunity. And by looking at face-to-face interactions with Jesus and real people in history, it, it gives us some things that we can take away from, that we can learn from um, in our own relationship with Jesus and what we can take away from there. So we want to learn how we can approach him. We want to learn more about what his love for us actually looks like on a, on a daily basis and, and to be encouraged. And so these are like like love letters from Jesus. So that's why it's love, comma, Jesus. It's like, this is, a, this is God's message to you. Love Jesus. So glad that you could have it. And so I'm excited to get to um, jump in today with a face-to-face story of the Bible that I truly love. And we're going to be in John chapter 3. If you want to get out a device or, or your Bible, we'll get there in just a second. Um, but there was, when I grew up, there was, um, I was a little bit older, like maybe middle school and high school, but there was these things called stereograms, and I didn't know what they were called. I just, like I learned that this week when I was studying, but there was these posters that would be like up on the wall. You guys remember these? They looked like this, and it's like, here's, some of you guys are going like, oh yeah, like this is PTSD for me because I have yet to see what's on the other side of one of these posters. And so all this did to me was make me feel like an idiot my entire life. Then I realized, I don't know what's wrong with me, but it's like, then I realized like when I go to 3D movies, I can't see those either. Like I'm wearing the glasses, I'm doing the thing. And so they used to have like a, like a kiosk in the mall set up and you would go and they would just be like, no, you just have to, you have to look through it. You have to relax and you have to look through it. And I'm just like, 
Nothing. You're lying. Like the, This is a lie that the whole world is in on, and I'm on the wrong side of it. And to make matters worse, like my little sister would be like, dolphins, fire, trees, you know, just like in one second, she could see it, all that, and like, good grief, like the claw thing at the restaurant. It's like, she's like, oh, watch this. She just dominated me. These two things. I think she's working in the kids today, so I can talk about her behind her back, but it's just like, she dominated me on those two things. I think I had her on like a lot of other things, but but this is what I was thinking about this, and it's like, a lot of times the Bible uses a phrase like, eyes to see, your ears to hear, and there's a danger in going through stories that we've heard so many times before, and it's like we see them at, at first glance and just think, oh, I know what that is, and I know what that means, but what I want to invite us to this morning is like, let's look a little deeper. Let's get past, let's, look, let's, let's relax our eyes, let's get into some dimensions, and let's see if we can pull out something maybe that we haven't seen before, and... I don't know if you guys, this is just a little plug, we get no money for this whatsoever, but I don't know if you guys have like watched the Chosen series about the life of Jesus, but leading up to Easter, especially the character we're going to talk about today, which is Nicodemus, but the face-to-face interaction Jesus has with Nicodemus in this series called The Chosen rocked my world, like took me to a whole new understanding of seeing Jesus's approach to people and Nicodemus's reception, and so we're going to be talking about Nicodemus today, but you can download The Chosen app on your phone or your device or you can download an app called VidAngel, which is free, and you could watch it. But we just highly recommend that if, um, especially like leading up to Easter, it's just a really good time to see a lot of these interactions that we've been talking about portrayed in a really brilliant, a brilliant way. And so this morning, this isn't going to be like a point one, point two, point three sermon. It's just going to be kind of, we're going to walk through this story. And it's more like a, um, you get to create your own point this morning. So when something grabs you, grab it back and just listen for those things that maybe you missed before and just take that as what God wants you to see this morning or wants you to understand maybe again or, or for the first time. But that's kind of what I wanted to say, getting us into it. So we're going to be going through uh, John chapter 3, and we're going to read a little bit. We're going to talk about it, just kind of go through it, work through it a little piece at a time. Everybody doing okay today? Are you ex- I'm excited. It's good to see you guys. Um, spring break is over, like, the, what, like, can you believe we had winter whatever, like, a few weeks ago? We were getting calls from all over the world, like, are you guys okay? It's like 80 degrees and sun shining, like, we're fine, I don't know what the problem is. But it's just, I think we forget how resilient we are, right? Look at what we've come through, look at what we're, we've survived, and we're, we're still here. So anyway, excited to be with you guys in John chapter 3. Let's get into it, shall we? So there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, and he was a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. So let me just tell you a little bit about Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a high-ranking religious official. He was a Pharisee, which means he had an incredible amount of education. He was, a, a, he was like a teacher of rabbis. He'd be like an instructor um, in rabbi school. There was nobody who knew more, nobody better respected. He wore full Pharisee garb, so if you would have seen him on the streets, you would have recognized just what what he was wearing said he was incredibly important. So he's a very distinguished person. Um, and then also he's not only a Pharisee, but he's a ruler of the, he's a member of the Sanhedrin, which is a ruling council in Israel. And so he had that council was worked, they worked with Rome. And so this council would help interpret Jewish laws and help them stay in good graces with Rome. And so he was a liaison between the government and the practice of religion. Like there's, 
if you're looking for influential people in the world of in, in the world of Israel at any given time, Nicodemus is it. He is the cream of the crop, and he's just this impressive, impressive person. And we're more acquainted with ideas of the Pharisees, like they're corrupt and they're trying to trap Jesus and they're doing all these shady things for for their own glory and they're manipulating the system for their own benefit. But what we see in Nicodemus is that there are some Pharisees that are actually decent people, like they're following the laws. I mean, these guys are so serious about God's law that they would literally go into their spice rack and take 10% and drop it in the offering basket. Like literally everything that they had, he would have the Torah like memorized. He would know all of God's law and he followed them impeccably. And so we have here in Nicodemus, somebody who follows all the rules, somebody who's incredibly religious, somebody who's incredibly respected. He doesn't have an agenda. He's not trying to manipulate Jesus. We just see him, this distinguished teacher of Israel, this Pharisee coming to Jesus. And so when Nicodemus, this amazing distinguished person looks at Jesus and calls him rabbi, that's amazing. Jesus didn't go to formal rabbi school. He didn't have a formal education. He would be, that alone would be, make him discredited by the Pharisees because he didn't go through the proper channels to gain his status, but he had followers and he was a teacher. But Nicodemus recognized that in Jesus, there was something going on that he couldn't explain. There was something, Nicodemus had enough respect for God that he saw in Jesus the activity of God. So when he approaches him, he approaches him with respect and humility and he calls him rabbi. We know that you are a teacher. And he says, we, right? So apparently he's speaking on behalf of several people who are interested in learning more about Jesus. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs unless you do them. And it says that he came at night, and some people think that they try to make this big argument like, oh, he was embarrassed or he was afraid, and, but it doesn't really seem like that. What it really seems like is that Jesus was growing in popularity, and the crowds were after him, and so Nicodemus found a time where he could have just this incredible time alone with Jesus and take all of his questions and just lean in uninterrupted so that he could have the, the attention of Jesus and that he could get his, his questions answered. And it kind of challenged me this week. And I was just wondering, when was the last time that we carved out a section of time to just lean into Jesus? Not like to check off our list or do our devotional reading or, or to pray or, or go through our spiritual disciplines. Not that there's anything wrong with those. But when was the time that we just said, here's a block of time that's going to be uninterrupted by anything. And I just need some Jesus time. I just need to, to lean in to him and bring my questions and, and sit at his feet and, and listen and receive from him and talk to him. And I just wonder if that's maybe one of the, the things that God is going to lead us to out of here. It's like, hey, let's just be intentional with some time, not just on the way to something else, not just a podcast in the car or, or while we're doing something else, but a time devoted just for you and Jesus to have some time together. We see Nicodemus fought for that and made the time, so he had this amazing encounter with Jesus. All right, we're going to go on and we're going to pick it up in verse 3. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. I love this about Jesus. Like, Anytime somebody tries to like pick a, like a conversational fight with Jesus, he finds a way to turn it back to the kingdom of God. 
So it's like Nicodemus comes and says, hey, talk to us about these things that you're doing. We recognize that God's with you and in these miracles and in these actions, we're seeing things we've never seen. And the first thing Jesus does is say, let me talk to you about the kingdom of God. Let me talk to you about the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of heaven, over a hundred times in the gospels, we see that Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. So there's nothing that he talks about more than the kingdom of God. So just consistent with that, anytime we come to Jesus, Jesus is inviting us into an understanding of the kingdom of God, or sometimes it's referred to as the kingdom of heaven. And so Nicodemus would have had a strong understanding of this because it was a very common teaching in Old Testament law, especially now that the Jews were under the authority of Rome. They knew that a Messiah was going to come and reestablish their authority. And they thought that meant that they were going to be put back in power over Rome. And so that would be like the coming of the kingdom. The establishment of the kingdom of Israel was what he would have had in mind. But Jesus is challenging his expectation and challenging his understanding to go further than what he would have normally thought about. And I love that for us too, because it's like when you lean into Jesus, I'm going to tell you, friends, Jesus is going to challenge your understanding of what you already know, and he's going to invite you to look deeper. He's going to invite you into more. He's going to invite you to a, a higher level of understanding the kingdom of God, and that's a good thing. The apostle Paul said, I'm still running this race, and I'm about to die, and I haven't gotten there yet. There's always more. There's always growth. There is always part of the kingdom that we, can, that we are yet to understand, and we're invited to lean into that and experience more of that. And the kingdom isn't just when we die and we spend eternity in God's kingdom. It's like, that's part of it. But Jesus, we, Jesus is teaching us to pray. It's like, hey, the kingdom is here now. It's not here fully, but we are here as ambassadors of this kingdom. We're here to live as citizens and residents of this kingdom. It's not the kingdom that you're thinking about. It's not the country that you're thinking about. For, for Nicodemus, it would have been the Jews that he was thinking about. And Jesus is just saying, no, 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 it's deeper than that. It's more than that. Let's get into this thing about the kingdom. It's not just this thing in the distance. It's like, how do we walk in that now? How do we live as citizens of the kingdom when we're not literally in that kingdom yet? And then Nicodemus is like, um, this whole born, a thing, born again thing, Jesus, kind of weird. Like, mom, I know how amazing my birth was. And I was just thinking, Jesus said for me to be a citizen of the kingdom, we're going to need a redo on that. So if I could somehow get you to birth me again. Like, that would be an awkward conversation for any, my mom is here. There'd be an awkward conversation for any of us to have. And Nicodemus is like, that's just weird. Jesus, like, how can somebody be born who's old? I'm not going to do that again. It's impossible. But we, it's helpful for us to understand that the word born again, it also means born from above. So Jesus is saying, unless you are born again or born from above, you're not going to have a way to come into the kingdom of God. And this word... There's a theological word called regeneration. And regeneration is born out of this idea of rebirth and being born again or being born from above. And this is what it means. This is what regeneration means. It means an inner cleansing and renewal of the human nature by the Holy Spirit. Mankind's spiritual condition is transformed from a disposition of sin to one of a new relationship with God. Regeneration involves both moral restoration and the reception of new life. The idea of regeneration is expressed as rebirth, being born again. This new birth suggests the newness of life in Christ Jesus, and the process of regeneration is not brought about by human righteousness, but by the gracious act of God. 
And what Jesus is beginning to show us is that there is not one single thing that you and I can do to make ourselves ready for the kingdom. In order to be part of the kingdom, in order to be with Jesus here, we're dependent on something that only he can accomplish. Just like you and I had nothing to do with our own birth. One day we weren't here, one day we were here. We didn't do anything to make that reality a reality. And Jesus is saying, same thing is true. So we have this religious leader who's doing all of the proper things. And Jesus goes, the kingdom is not, for, it's not something you can work your way into. It's not a checklist, not a punch list that you can accomplish. Remember, Nicodemus as a Jew considered himself, his flesh, he was born into favor. There was nobody in a better position than him. And Jesus was saying, hey, being born of the flesh in any way, it's not enough for the kingdom of God. You have to be born of the spirit. None of us can be kingdom ready as we are. And the Bible gives us a little clarification about that. In Psalm 51, it says that we are born into sin. So in our flesh, we are born into a sinful world. Nobody had to teach us how to sin. We inherited the DNA of sin. It's in us from the beginning, but then it gets worse than that because all along the way, then we choose it and we participate in it. So we're born into this sinful world. Romans 3 says everybody sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 5 says because of that sin, we are enemies of God. So we were born into our flesh that has sinful tendencies that we've chosen to participate just like all of humanity and because of that, we were born as enemies of God. And in that condition, we can't get into the kingdom of God. We can't be where God is. There's no way we can be kingdom ready in our own power. It's not because of anything that we do. It's not because of skills that we have. It's not because of mission trips we go on or acts of service in the community. That's not what makes us kingdom ready. And we see traces of this in like popular culture, right? Holly and I watched this new movie called Tenet. And I won't give very much of it away, but there's this idea that you'll get this from the trailer, but it has to do with, with time travel. And there's a line in the movie that says basically this. It's like your present lungs can't breathe in the future. So in order for them to travel to the future, they have to have this adaptation that makes them able to live in this alternate world. They can't go as they are. They have to have some help. Or I don't know, our family's pretty big into um, superhero movies, right? And so like, think about Superman, right? This incredible Superman. He's, he's like, he's this impeccable specimen of a man. And the reason that he has this immortality on our planet is because he's from a different planet. He had to have something outside of what we've experienced to have the superpowers that he has. Or if you think about um, Thor, right? Thor is on on earth, he's a god, and on Asgard, he's just like royalty. Like he's just one of the other people. But when that person exists in a different world, he has this immortal capability, and apparently he can give it to Captain America. Like what? Because Captain America just had like strength serum where he was super strong and more capable, and then all of a sudden he picks up the hammer, gets struck by Thor's lightning, and he's immortal. What? So he's tapping into the capability and the power of something outside of what he could be on his own in order for him to live differently in a different world. I mean, there's traces of this. Ecclesiastes says God's put eternity in our hearts, and you see that in the art expressions of people 
and whether or not they're followers of Christ at all, you kind of, we have this understanding that it's like the way that we are is not good enough to live in the kingdom or the after or the eternity. We need some help in that area. We have to be born of the water and the spirit. We have to have something more than what we can do on our own. We need a cleansing and a preparation that's beyond what we can do on our own. And that's what regeneration becomes for us taking our sins and cleansing it so that they no longer count against us, so that we're no longer enemies of God, taking our trying to climb the ladder of righteousness and going, no, 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 it's not because of that. It's like because regeneration comes first, you have a desire to be with Jesus, and the relationship comes first, the regeneration comes first. All right, we're going to move right along. We're going to pick it up here in verse 7. Do not be amazed that I told you you must be born again. I love that. Obviously, Nicodemus was like, <laughs> looking amazed. Jesus is like, hey, why are you so amazed that I told you you must be born again? The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. It's not uncommon in the Scriptures for the Spirit of God to be described as wind or as a breath. And it would be so much easier if Jesus would have just said, hey, wake up every day, knock out this punch list, and you're righteous and holy, ready for the kingdom. That would be so much more simple, but it would be so boring, right? Jesus is not inviting us to be religious robots doing the same things as everybody else. He's inviting us to, to think about it as, as the wind. Kingdom-ready people are people who live at the direction of the winds of the Spirit. And I want to put a couple things up there about that. Those born of the Spirit do not control their own lives or destinies. Those born of the Spirit don't control their own lives or your own destiny. You don't know what you're supposed to be. You don't know everything you're supposed to do. That's not a problem because God's already got that sorted so you can trust him with it. So I would like to invite you to begin to relinquish control of your own life and destiny. You need help from beyond what you can experience on your own to be made kingdom ready. And the wind is like coming and it's blowing and you don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it goes. And we have the benefit of like super advanced meteorology, right? It's like we capture wind, we measure wind, we predict wind. We have different forces and scales of wind. They didn't have that when Jesus was teaching that. As a matter of fact, Bible scholars think that when Jesus said that, the wind probably started blowing. Like this wasn't some formula for the Holy Spirit, even though it talks about it on. But it's like, what if like you're just hanging out with Jesus and the wind starts blowing and Jesus goes, hey, that thing that you're experiencing, that's kind of like my spirit. You feel how it's blowing across this place? You feel how it's, it's working? To fishermen, Jesus talked about fishing. To farmers, Jesus talked about farming. On a cool night, talking to Nicodemus, he's talking about the wind as it's blowing. Like Sometimes I think, let's not overcomplicate this, right? The wind is blowing and the Spirit, is, Jesus is going, that's what I have in mind for you. It's not about what you can control. It's not what you have to figure out. And this challenges our desire for control of our own life and destiny because you can't control the wind. You can't control your spirituality. We're willing participants in this thing that God is doing, taking us to places that we never would have gone, experiencing things we never would have experienced, healing hurts that we were trying to hold on to, condemning ourselves over sins that we've committed when forgiveness is going, here, take the forgiveness, it's okay, that doesn't have to count against you anymore, but we hang on to that control for some reason. And Jesus is saying, that's not it. That's religion. That's not regeneration. That's not the wind. 
The wind is blowing. Like, put your sails up and just see where it takes you. And here's some ways that you can know that, that you're living like this, that the spirit, the wind is blowing with you, is that you grow in understanding. Like, you, read the, you open up the Bible, and it's like things that you never saw before are coming to life. God's opening your eyes to the depths of truth and, and inspiration and beauty, and you never noticed it. So you have this understanding that you know you wouldn't have on your own. You have convictions. This is something unique to the Spirit of God. When there's a temptation, you have the ability to feel the wind and go, I'm not going to do that. That's gonna, there's consequence for that sin that's going to do damage and discredit my testimony. I'm going to wait for God. I'm going to listen to the still small voice and I'm going to trust him. There's the wind of calling like to maybe to missions or maybe to ministry or maybe to a certain job or a, a certain vocation. And it's like you never set out for that, but you felt a calling or maybe it's to serving. All of a sudden you're noticing the needs of others and positioning to, to show up in those places and make a difference. Or maybe you're growing in gifting and you're like, I didn't even know I had this gift, but apparently these spiritual gifts are for real and I have something to contribute to the body of Christ. I'm built for the kingdom or, or prompting. Like the wind is like, all of a sudden I should call that person. Person. I feel like they're not well. I think they need a call. And you don't know why. You weren't thinking about that person. But the wind blew, and you're like, that person, and you follow up with a text or a call just to encourage somebody or pray for them. Or you, you find these promptings that wouldn't happen on your own. And the Bible talks about the Spirit bringing assurance because we have doubts and we have questions. And the Spirit comes and goes, it's okay. Let me just give you something for that to help you get through today so your faith can resonate with this reality. The wind, the Spirit helps us with that and for your actual protection. The Spirit protects us from the effects of sin and practically even directly from harm. So when we're born of the Spirit, it's like the wind moving us beyond what we would wake up and do on our own. So are we experiencing that? I'm inviting you. Are you experiencing any of these realities in your own life? And if we're not, then it's maybe because we're trying too hard on our own. We're controlling our own destinies. We're working on our own agendas. We're checking our own list. And the Spirit's going, but I've got, I've got more for you. There's another level of this that's so much more fun than just the rigor of religion. There's so much joy in feeling prompted by the Holy Spirit, following the wind, and then seeing God use you in his kingdom. That's preparation for the kingdom now and the kingdom forever. Let's pick it up in verse nine. How can these things be, asked Nicodemus. So if you're sitting there and you're like, I still don't get it, you're, Nicodemus is right there with you. Don't be discouraged. It doesn't have to make sense yet. The wind can still lead you into understanding. Just keep leaning. Keep asking your questions. Nicodemus didn't just, he didn't just sneak out the side door when he didn't understand and when it didn't make sense. Jesus is not intimidated by your questions or your doubts or your fears. He's not concerned about that. So just lean in. Bring him. When Nicodemus still didn't get it, very first thing he did, how can these things be? Still asking. And Jesus pushes on a little hard. Aren't you a teacher? And you don't know these things? And Jesus replied, truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about my heavenly thing? I tell you about heavenly things. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And this made me think about, about something. And that's like... Um, Anybody here ever climbed Mount Everest? No? Nobody? Well, 
Maybe the wind will lead us to, you know, prepare and train for that. But let me tell you a secret about Mount Everest. If you here in Richmond, Texas, decide today to go and climb Mount, like you just fly halfway across the world, you show up at base camp and you're like, I'm in, you'll be dead in a matter of hours. You cannot climb Mount Everest. I don't know if you know this or not, but you are incapable of climbing Mount Everest on your own. I got a picture for you because here's the reality. There is a people group at the base of Mount Everest. They live in the mountains and we call them Sherpas. Nobody can climb Mount Everest without a Sherpa. This is why. The Sherpas were born in that environment. They breathe, they don't need a special breathing apparatus to breathe on Mount Everett. They are accustomed to it. They have been to the top. They know what it takes to go to the top. So anybody that you see, like with their picture at the top of Mount Everest, who do you think took the picture? This guy. And he's the one that went before them and was putting the stakes in the ground so that they could lock themselves, so they could be safe. They were putting their ladders out. Like they, they lined it out for them all the way up the mountain. And still barely anybody can do that. Still people die trying in their own efforts. But what I want us to understand is that this thinking is all in our world already. And we just need to understand that this is God teaching us about his kingdom and how we fit into it. It's like you can't make yourself kingdom ready on your own. Jesus is the Sherpa. He's the only one that's come from heaven. He's already been in the kingdom. He can breathe there on his own. He lives perfectly there. He's without sin. Like he's got it all figured out. And so it's not for us to go, how do I get there? How do I do this? He's like, I've been there. Just follow me. I'm showing you the way. The winds are blowing. Don't make this about religion and don't make this about you. Just come be regenerated. Come trust me. Come follow me and I'll get you to the top of the mountain. But you have a 0% zero percent chance of getting there by yourself you can't make yourself kingdom ready you can't make yourself heaven ready you can't make it happen there's a brilliant quote by albert einstein and he says no problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it we're here on this world in this sinful world a part of the consciousness, participating and creating sin. We can't get ourselves out. We need Jesus to do that. Verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus would have, recommended, would have recognized this right away, but in the desert, the people started to doubt God. God, you just you don't even care about us. You're just leaving us out here for dead. And all of a sudden, God sent these poisonous snakes to snakes to start like, and they started biting people because of their unbelief, because of their lack of faith. And the people are like, "Oh, wait, sorry about that, God. Like, we're sorry. We repent. We shouldn't have questioned you. We made it about ourselves. We made it about our own striving." And then God responds and tells Moses to lift up this staff and he makes it into this bronze serpent. And everybody who looks to this staff that's raised is healed from all of the effects and consequences of their sin. It's a famous story in the Old Testament, one that Nicodemus would have known like the back of his hand. And Jesus is calling, say, hey friends, in this world of doubt and unbelief, the consequence of your sin will kill you. It will leave you eternally separated from God. And he said, just like people were cleansed and healed by looking up to the lifted up bronze serpent, one conquering the actual serpents, 
They won't be forgiven. And they won't have eternal life. And this is foreshadowing of what Jesus has come to do for us. That's in Numbers chapter 21, if you want to read more about that. And then right after that, it sets up the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world. In this way, he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. Friends, if we reject Jesus, the rejecting of Jesus is the accepting of condemnation. It's saying that, we want to be condemned and judged, and we just want to live in the consequence of our sin. But God said, I sent my son to be lifted up on the cross so that when you look at him, there's forgiveness for those sins. He died the death that our sins deserve that Romans talks about. And instead of judgment and condemnation, he offers us grace and mercy. And the other thing revolutionary that Jesus does right here is it says, for God so loved the world Nicodemus would say, God so loved Israel that he gave his one and only son. And Jesus is taking it further than what Nicodemus could understand. It's like, no, this is for everybody. Every race, every tribe, every tongue. It's an open invitation to the whole world to become kingdom ready. And verse 19 says this. This is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may be not exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. And I just pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear the severity of this. Our fear of our deeds being exposed will keep us out of the kingdom of God. Our fear of shame, our fear of embarrassment, our fear of allowing the light to shine on the darkness of our sin will prevent us from being into the kingdom of God. Living near or in darkness, it's not a game. It's not something that we deserve because of the, the past mistakes that we made. It's a failure to receive the love that Jesus has for you. And it's denying his invitation to live beyond that and deeper. Truth comes to the light and exposure of our darkness reveals what God has done. And so the Bible's inviting us, hey, when you allow those sins to be exposed, that is the only way that you experience forgiveness and grace that Jesus purchased on the cross. And when you look to that, is the only way you can get through it. The light is coming to the world. The question is, what do we want more? Why do so many people live as though they want the darkness more than the light? Why do they continue to flirt with the dark and engage the dark and live so close to the dark when the light has come? Nicodemus came at night, and despite him getting a lot right about God and even being devout and religious, he was in the darkness. There were fundamental errors in the way that he understood faith that kept him outside of the kingdom. Practically, he was trusting his own efforts and his own authority, his own accomplishments to make him kingdom ready. But here's the good news. God loves you. And sent his son to invite you to come out of the darkness and into the light, into the satisfaction of not having to be enough on your own. Can I just say that again? I want to invite you into the satisfaction of not having to be enough on your own because Jesus is all that we need. He's more than 
enough. Are you in the darkness? Do you feel close to the darkness? Are you just in doubt and confusion and and condemnation? Are you compromising? Have you been denying God? Step into the light, walk into the light, and help others find the light of eternity and the promise of God. I'll tell you one more thing, and then I'll be done. It's not the only place that Nicodemus shows up. In John chapter 7, he has a little cameo. And they're talking about arresting Jesus for these crazy teachings that threaten their credibility. And Nicodemus says, hey, this guy deserves a hearing. Like, since when do we accuse people without hearing what they have to say? So in the public arena, Nicodemus is defending Jesus. Then at the end, after the crucifixion, and this happens in John chapter 19, literally every single one of Jesus' followers is scattered. At the time when nobody else is willing to be associated with Jesus, Nicodemus walks in to the Roman officials with Joseph of Arimathea, and they request the body of Jesus. And it says Nicodemus is carrying 75 pounds of burial spices. And at the time when nobody else wants to be where Jesus is, Nicodemus is right there. And it says that previously Joseph had been a disciple of Jesus's, but secretly. And this is what I love the most. It's like, it ain't a secret anymore. There comes a time for us where it's like, if you've been a secret disciple of Jesus, it's time to step into the light because there's no such thing as a secret disciple of Jesus. It's not the way it is. The light is the light and it illuminates us and the wind blows us into realities that we never experience on our own. And so we see in Nicodemus an opportunity. Eventually he realized that his religion wasn't enough. He humbled himself and was recognized publicly as a disciple of Jesus with somebody else who was a Pharisee. And their time came where it was like, okay, I have enough. I'm following the wind. It's worth it. And I'm willing to make that change. So what do we do with all of this? I'm just going to put one slide up. And I don't know where you are in your journey. I don't know where you are with your questions. I don't know where you are with with light and darkness. But here's some things that we can respond to. And um, I'm going to go ahead. Amanda, would you guys go ahead and come back up? And we'll prepare to respond in worship as well. But here's the thing. If you have not believed in the crucified and glorified Jesus, I would like to invite you to believe that everything we're saying about him is true and real and will have a profound impact on your life. If you've just been thinking, hey, this is fables or stories or whatever, I just wanna invite you past that. Have you believed it? Have you believed it? Have you, have you believed that there's forgiveness offered from the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross? Another thing I wanna invite you to is confess your darkness. Let your darkness, let your sins be exposed. New life, is gonna cost you some things, but it's not gonna cost you anything worth having. In order to step into the newness of life that regeneration is, it means we're gonna have to die to some of the control things that we've been hanging on to so tightly. So we can confess our darkness, let our deeds be exposed. After that, we repent of our sins, and repentance just means I'm done with that. That benefited me nothing. All it's created for me is distance from God, And I've seen enough in Jesus to know that's where I need to be enough that this over here is something that I'm leaving and I'm repenting and I'm turning from that to go to him. I'm done with living in such close proximity to the darkness. It also means accepting cleansing and restoration 
for your own soul. The old is gone and the new has come. Admit your tendency for control and submit that to the wind of the Holy Spirit. You're not a better God than God. You're not a better authority on your life than he is. He's already been to the top. He's been to the other side and he's inviting you to follow him and trust him to climb the path that he's moving you towards. It's better than what you've got in mind for yourself. But we have to relinquish control and stop acting like it's ours to have. Stop blocking God's best for you. Follow his spirit with the way you live your life. Romans says to renew your mind with the word of God. Continue to follow. Continue to be faithful. Get in places where there's other people on the same journey as you and and be encouraged and encourage others. And then finally, don't be a secret disciple. Don't pretend like you can be a secret disciple. God's placed you in the world because somebody needs what you have. They need the light that's coming through you and you're blessed to be a blessing. So you don't have to be embarrassed or ashamed of anything that we have in the gospel of Jesus. Maybe you know a little, maybe you've even made some arguments for Jesus like Nicodemus, but you know it's time to take the next step. Stop dabbling in Jesus and look past that crazy distorted view of that poster and see the dimension behind it and accept your invitation into the kingdom of God. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.